Hi, and welcome to the Soul Power Trip podcast, where we talk all things psychology, spirituality, and all modalities of healing to help you feel and look like the best version of yourself that you deserve to be. So let's get right into it. Today's episode is going to be on attachment, attachment theory, attachment styles, and anything you really would ever want to know about attachment. Um, I spent quite a bit of time researching this topic. Let's get right into it. In this podcast, we will go through what attachment is, how it's formed, how it shows up in your life, what are the criticisms and misconceptions about attachment, and how to fix it. So what is it? Attachment theory is support-seeking behavior. So this means behavior that comes up when you're in a time of crisis, right? And the support-seeking behavior is aimed at attaining protection and support from a stronger and wiser person in your life. So this is tends to a lot of times be a caregiver or a parent, and this is a natural human desire to further your development. You need attachment figures, someone to attach to in times of need, and someone to help guide you through that difficulty. Right, so there's four attachment styles and they can be understood by the two main dimensions of attachment. So the first dimension is attachment anxiety. This is derived from a negative representation of oneself. And if you're following along with the video, I'm showing a graph visual representation of this to help you follow along. The anxiety is derived from a negative representation of oneself. So attachment anxiety reflects the fear of abandonment and it's highly linked to low self-esteem. The other dimension is attachment avoidance. This is attributed to a negative representation of other people. And attachment avoidance is uh, feels discomfort in intimate relationships and it's not as strongly linked to low self-esteem. Attachment anxiety, the main difference here is that attachment anxiety has more to do with insecurity about yourself and your lovability, whereas attachment avoidance has more to do with your inability to trust others and your fear of vulnerability in times of need in which you fear that that person will leave you high and dry. And so I explained two attachment theories and it's helpful to understand all four because secure attachment has neither attachment avoidance nor attachment anxiety, meaning they have a positive perception of themselves as lovable and worthy, and they have a positive perception of other people as trusting and safe, right? And then fearful avoidant or disorganized attachment has both a negative representation of themselves and of others. Let's get further into those two main attachment styles, which are anxious attachment and avoidant attachment. Anxious attachment is marked by this fear of abandonment. That's really important to me because that shows up in a lot of other ways, which is one of my main issues with attachment is the fact that it has so many layers and there's so many complexities that you can't really find a way to make yourself fit into one of these attachment styles, right? And that's totally okay because human beings are so complex, like we're not really supposed to fit into one attachment style or another. So. Anxious attachment is known for this deep fear of abandonment, but that shows up in many ways in all types of attachment. For example, the abandonment wound shows up in symptoms of giving too much, 
or being overly eager to please, right? And this comes up a lot in codependence and people with codependency, a lot of them tend to have avoidant attachment, right? And it all stems from the same fear of abandonment, which it, even though it's regarded as being uh, important for anxious attachment, it's really not exclusive to anxious attachment because this deep fear of abandonment will also lead you to have jealousy or trouble trusting people. This also comes up in avoidance. You feel insecure about your relationships. This comes up in both types of attachments. You also have difficulty feeling emotionally intimate. Again, this comes up in avoidance as well. You also need to control or be controlled by your partner with this abandonment wound and this comes up in all insecure attachments, especially disorganized attachment, right? Wanted to get a little bit into this abandonment wound because I think it's really helpful for understanding this concept. Abandonment issues arise from the loss of a loved one, such as a parent, caregiver, or even a romantic partner can leave you with an abandonment wound. Um, this can be from trauma, divorce, death, other extraneous situations. There can also come an abandonment wound from emotional abandonment. This is when a parent or caregiver is physically present, but emotionally absent. So if you're trying to figure out how you have a certain type of attachment style, it could be due to an abandonment wound. The importance of this is specifically how do you go about fixing or changing your attachment style. In my opinion, it is about this abandonment wound. It's the self-abandonment that happens when someone else abandons you, like you feel like a caregiver or a parent emotionally or physically neglected you at an early age. And that abandonment of you led to self-abandonment, right? Now you lack self-compassion. Now you're insecure. Now you question your lovability because you've abandoned yourself, assuming that since that other person abandoned you, you must not be worthy of love and attention, even from yourself, right? So this is key when it comes to healing this sort of insecure attachment. Secondly, avoidant attachment. I know I hinted at it just now, but... Avoidant attachment is specifically defined by this fear of intimacy and as I mentioned, this fear or inability um, to trust other people. So people with avoidant attachment tend to have trouble getting close to others and relationships can make them feel suffocated. This is one of the main differences in my opinion with anxious attachment is that they tend not to feel suffocated in relationships. The avoidant also has a high need for independence which is also a symptom of an abandonment wound. So just wanted to <laughs> make that clear um, that attachment theory has these boxes, but we don't really need to fit into one category or the other. They really all interact in different levels, especially when it comes to abandonment. Another thing I think is important to mention about attachment figures is that we can have several attachment figures throughout our lives, not just caregivers. So the attachment system is actually active throughout our entire life. How? The attachment system, not the theory, but the system, which is our, uh, our need to have support seeking behavior as far as needing someone's support in a time of crisis, 
It's evident in thoughts and actions related to seeking protection, support, and guidance in times of need, right? So during infancy, of course, primary caregivers or parents are likely to occupy this role of an attachment figure. But during adolescence, peers and close friends or romantic partners become our attachment figures. Also, teachers and supervisors or even therapists can serve as important attachment figures later in life. Moreover, groups, institutions, and even spiritual figures can be used at least mentally as attachment figures. Now, this is really important also for the healing aspect is that if you can form an attachment to some sort of imaginary figure that you trust, such as a higher power like God, then you can actually start to form these secure attachment habits. You can mentally have an attachment figure, someone that you can in your mind hold on to or go to for support and protection and guidance in times of need. And this can even be yourself. This can even be your higher self, can be your attachment figure. And once you build that relationship, that secure attachment with that imagined attachment figure, then you can actually start to replicate that in real life relationships. How does insecure attachment happen? So when a person's attachment figure is not readily available, this is specifically early on in life, you really need your parents' influence and guidance and support a lot of the time, like for just basic survival. So they need to provide proximity they have to need to be physically present, they need to provide a safe haven, a sense of comfort of someone that you can that can protect you in times of stress, and they need to be a secure base, which means someone that once you go out and explore and grow, someone you know you can come back to and trust. Right? So if you had someone, a parent, caregiver in your life who wasn't able to do one or all three of those things be physically there, provide a safe haven and a secure base, then serious doubts about support seeking come up. You begin to question if seeking support from people in the outside world is even worth it. So after a long series of disappointing and frustrating interactions with attachment figures, the person becomes um, less reliant on support seeking behaviors and that is replaced by attachment system hyperactivation. This is just a fancy word for anxious attachment, but it's this attachment system hyperactivation that creates energetic, anxious, controlling, or impulsive attempts to force a relationship partner to pay more attention and provide better care, which may paradoxically lead to rejection and separation. Now that support-seeking behavior can also be replaced with attachment system deactivation which is avoidance, right? And this involves the suppression or inhibition of support-seeking tendencies and the development of compulsive self-reliance. thought that was a really fun term, compulsive self-reliance, and it's kind of self-explanatory, but it's, it can be seen in a lot of people with this avoidant attachment, right? Where they don't want to rely on themselves but they feel like they're forced to, right? This is a symptom of this attachment system deactivation. So what does this behavior look like? We've now gone through understanding what it is, what attachment systems are, 
and how it comes about. So what does this look like in your day-to-day -day behavior? Your model of attachment influences how each of us reacts to our needs and how we go about getting our needs met. So when there's a secure attachment pattern, what we all want and like a lot of us didn't get, a person is confident and self-possessed and is able to easily interact with others, meeting both their own needs, which is very important, and another's needs. However, when that person has anxious or avoidant attachment patterns, the person tends to pick partners who fit that maladaptive pattern. They will most likely be choosing someone who isn't the ideal choice for them, right? And there's research to back this, which I found really fascinating. So two experimental studies found that insecurely attached people, whether anxious or avoidant or both, remembered a partner's helpful behavior as less supportive, especially if the behavior was ambiguous and open to subjective reconstruction and likely to reactivate worries about a partner's availability and supportiveness. So basically in this study, anyone with insecure attachment, which means, you know, anxious, avoidant, or both, had this perception that whenever their partner tried to help them, they weren't actually being supportive. They had this negative perception to believe that their behavior was ambiguous, wasn't as supportive as someone else would have thought it was, or they reinterpreted the situation to a different subjective meaning that ends up leading them to believe that that partner actually wasn't as supportive as they might have seemed to be in that instance. So another study found that anxiously attached people place considerable important on a partner's supportive behavior. So they're hyper aware of what you call a partner's supportive behavior and they always tended to believe that it was not adequately available on a daily basis. What's really important to note here is what is that adequate availability? You see for someone with this sort of anxious attachment style there's no sense of adequate support. If they do have adequate support they say it's ambiguous, they say they reconstruct the story to say their support wasn't actually as you know well done as they might have perceived otherwise. So they continue to believe that their partner support is not adequately available on a daily basis, when in reality, there's no way that anyone could adequately be there to support their needs in the way they need. It's not necessarily possible because they're negatively biased towards always thinking that people fail them, that people cannot meet their needs, and they are adamant about defending that belief that they will find evidence for that, even if they're shown the contrary. The stand of believing their partner's support is not adequately available resulted in heightened frustration, distress, and dissatisfaction when the partner was not immediately available. This is particularly um, common in anxious attachments. Other research also shows that insecurely attached people, besides often possessing these negative biases towards perception of a partner's support, are also fairly likely to be involved with partners who really aren't that supportive, right? So they found that insecure individuals more often choose unsupportive partners 
They also tended to act in ways that caused their partners to act unsupportively, thus confirming and strengthening their doubts about people's supportiveness. So it's really important to see the two dimensions at play here, the external part in which you actually end up choosing people that confirm your beliefs about the world, about the world because they're actually not very supportive, and the internal expectation that people aren't going to be readily available to meet my needs and no one can actually meet my threshold of support that I need in a relationship. You believe that way and then you actually end up seeing that come up in real life, enhancing that belief. However, what's important to note here is that you chose that person because of your belief system, right? There are people in the world who can be supportive you just chose unsupportive people to defend your belief about the world, right? So your expectation becomes your reality. And this is more of like the spiritual, um, although scientific, it's just a lot less studied idea that you seek to confirm any narrative that you have in your mind, right? You create your reality. So this is an example of that. This is how you will continue in an um, insecure attachment pattern because of your expectation, you will actually seek out people to confirm that insecure attachment style, right? And people who will continue to make you feel like they're not trustworthy, that they won't be there to meet your needs, that they're not safe for you to be intimate or vulnerable with, they're gonna use that against you. I'm sure these are like actual real lived experiences you've had, but at the same time, you chose that type of partner because you expected it. So another way that the anxious attachment shows up in your life is you end up feeling like in order to get close to someone and have your needs met, you need to be with your partner all the time, right? So this is your limiting belief, is that you need to be with your partner all the time and get reassurance and validation from them all the time. And if they're not there all the time, then they're not good enough. Right, so to support this perception of reality, you actually choose someone who is isolated and hard to connect with, right? The avoidant attachment person. And on the opposite end, the person with a working avoidant attachment has a tendency to be distanced because their model or their limiting belief is that the way to get their needs met is to act like they don't have any. Then they choose someone who is more possessive and overly demanding of attention. There's assumptions here also dealing with your shadow, attracting your shadow, attracting your opposite, and kind of needing this opposite to kind of reflect back to you a little bit more of what you should be. Anxious attachment people, unlike people with secure attachment, tend to be desperate to form a fantasy bond. Personally, this part of the research I did hit home for me. Um, so instead of feeling real love or trust towards their partner, they actually often feel emotional hunger. And they're frequently looking to their partner to rescue or complete them. I think this happens a lot of times in women because we're conditioned to have this Prince Charming come save the day for us. We are on this like, oh, I need a hero, I need a savior because I'm the damsel in distress, right? So it's that damsel archetype with that a savior that we need, uh, prince 
archetype that's coming into play and it's almost like we kind of I don't know about y'all, but like we kind of automatically fall into this role because we're almost told it's the way we're supposed to be. Um, so I think this fantasy element of anxious attachment is really fascinating. Right. So although they're seeking a sense of safety and security, they cling to their partner for that safety and security. And because of that clinging, end up taking actions that end up actually pushing their partner away and reconfirming their belief that their needs aren't worthy of being met okay and then the avoidant on the other extreme has the illusion of pseudo independence right so these are more ways that your attachment style kind of shows up in your personality or your behavior is this pseudo independence illusion that they don't need anybody because in reality, we all know every human being needs connection, right? But people with this dismissive avoidant attachment tend to lean inwards and they deny the importance of loved ones and actually find it quite easy to detach from loved ones. They're often psychologically defensive and have a really strong ability to shut down emotionally, which is obviously quite problematic, right? Because then all of a sudden they might come out with like this tsunami of emotions that you're like, oh my God, I didn't even know you felt anything. Um, so even in heated or emotional situations, the avoidant is usually able to turn off their feelings and not react, right? So they'll come up with responses that are like, you know, you're like, oh, I'm leaving. They're like, I don't care, right? They do care. They do want connection. But that desire has been so buried underneath that it's better not to feel, it's better not to want it than to want it and have people disappoint you. So the avoidant is working on this limiting belief that my needs aren't important and no one is going to come meet them, right? I am not worthy of support. So it's pretty similar to the anxious limiting belief, but there's that kind of worthiness piece that affects the anxious attachment individual more than it does the avoidant. The avoidant has a bigger distrust of others and less distrust of themselves. So lastly, fearful avoidant, right? It's going to be a combination of both. And this is what the research shows. They tend to be mixed up or unpredictable in their moods. They see their relationships from the working model or the limiting belief <laughs> that you need to go towards others to get your needs met. But if you get too close, they will hurt you. In other words, the person they want to go to for safety is the same person they are frightened to be close to. As a result, they have no organized strategy for getting their needs met by others, which is why it's also called disorganized attachment because of this negative perception of themselves, negative perception of others, and need for connection that's convoluted by both a distrust of others and a distrust of themselves. So I think we understand attachments, insecure attachments, anxious, avoidant, and disorganized attachments pretty well. I didn't really get into disorganized attachment because it's kind of implied in the anxious and avoidant attachment talk. If you identify as disorganized, then you're going to have symptoms of both, right? So before I get into how to fix this attachment style, I want to go through some of the critics and misconceptions about attachment theory because personally, I don't use attachment theory in my clinical practice. I really don't think 
helps me in a big way to know my client's attachment style and then treat them based on their attachment style because I don't think that box is useful for me as a clinician. I really don't think that's like the source of healing is helping them get a secure attachment. I think that's an outcome and I think that's going to be part of it. Just don't really focus on this label to inform my clinical practice. In the research I found, a lot of other psychologists feel the same way. The number one biggest misconception is that attachment styles are a rigid thing. They, that you are one attachment style and that style is how you show up in all of your relationships. So that's not true. Recent research shows that you can be attached in different ways to different people. A child can have a secure attachment to their mother and an avoidant attachment to their father and an anxious attachment to their aunt and so on and so on. So what actually really makes a difference in what attachment style shows up is the person you're with, right? So you could have been shown insecure attachment when you were younger, but later in life had a romantic attachment with someone who was secure, a safe space for you, someone who listened to you and met your needs, then you will show up as having a secure attachment, right? So it doesn't necessarily, you're not marked by the way your parents were when you were younger. That's another misconception about attachment theory is that it's entirely environmentally constructed, right? So is if you're born a blank slate and the behavior of your mom, whether they were inconsistent or consistent, is the sole cause of your anxious or avoidant attachment style. This is incorrect and not true. Um, there's so many moving factors in our development that a mother's attention cannot possibly be the sole factor as far as how we act in our future relationships or father's attention, right? In my research, I also found historical reasons why we all care about attachment theory. So fascinatingly enough, this research done by Bowlby, he's a psychologist in the 1950s who came up with the attachment styles terminology. Um, his ideas were very popular in America, but not in other places around the world. Bum, bum, bum. Why do we think that is? It's because he was telling Americans what they wanted to believe. So his research was coming out in the 1960s when women were beginning to work. And there were news articles saying that this is going to be absolutely terrible and devastating for children. So Bowlby's research came out with this idea that if a mother, specifically a mother, we initial research did not include a father's attachment, which is also a flaw. He said that if a mother is affectionate and consistent in the first year or two of a child's life, then like a vaccine, the child will be protected from things like anxiety and depression for the rest of their lives. That's totally not true, right? Scientists found, scientists who tried to replicate his study didn't find that to be true. They found that children who grew up with secure attachment in their first years weren't all protected from depression anxiety, obviously. However, this idea that a mother has to be in the home for their child to be protected from mental illness had a lot of momentum and weight in that social political climate, even though it wasn't necessarily factual or even scientific. Another serious limitation about attachment theory is its failure to recognize the profound influences of social class, gender, ethnicity, and culture on a person's development. These are one of my main issues with attachment theory as well. Um, 
it's almost like the mother sensitivity is the only marker of how you are in romantic relationships. But ultimately, there's many things that contribute to your attachment style. It could be abuse from people outside your home, bullying, experiences with immigration, growing up as a person of color in a white-centric community, losing a parent to death or incarnation. The list goes on and on. These are all things that affect our early development and they especially affect our attachment style. And not all of it is at all reliant on what your parents were like or weren't like. Overall, context is incredibly important, and I don't think this is something we talk enough about when we talk about attachment, is that the particular relationship we're in affects the attachment style that comes to surface. If we feel safe, secure parts of us show up. If we feel rejected or scared, anxious parts might take over needing reassurance and affirmations. Or if a partner isn't letting us grow and needs us to the point of codependency, we can even become more avoidant. So there certainly is a way that you might tend to show up in relationships and it can be helpful to know what that is but just keep in mind that it's not the only way you are all the time so how to fix it popular psychological theory believes in a broaden and build cycle of attachment security if you're following along with the video i am putting a graph on the screen to help us understand this broaden and build theory Basically, the psychologists support the idea that if you have small experiences of attachment security, then that'll broaden your scope of the positive effects that come from that secure attachment, and then you'll be able to build on that broadened foundation or perspective. Experience with an actual or imagined security-enhancing attachment figure this, the imagined piece is important because as I mentioned, you might not need an actual person there if you have that imaginary support system. It can also have the same psychological effects, which is awesome. That experience of a security enhancing attachment figure leads to the activation of beliefs about other people being very kind, positive self views, and positive beliefs about emotional regulation. Right, so now you have mental access to a secure based script. From there, you have a less of a bias towards these negative perceptions of people's support and might be actually more attuned towards positive aspects of social information, picking up on things in your reality in which people are kind to you or moments in which you're like, maybe this is someone I can trust, right? And now your perception is acting in a way that's securely attached and in this way you have more access to self-regulation resources right so you might be better able to do things like goals activities or challenges and have support from yourself or from this imagined attachment figure throughout and this is the build part this is the broadening and then you're building from that place and then you have a positive effect on your emotions as you go for those goals with your real or imagined support figure behind you, supporting you and encouraging that. Then you have a better ability to emotionally regulate. I also found this idea of a corrective emotional experience, which can happen in therapy or in relationship with yourself. It can lead to a healing of our attachment styles, which is that when we experience safety with someone, when our needs are met at no great cost to our sense of self, or we're loved and accepted exactly for who we are, 
by someone or ourselves, we can heal these attachment ruptures and develop more secure relationship habits, right? So I emphasize the yourself part because I want you to question, are you a safe space for yourself? Do you listen to yourself? When you're experiencing a lot of emotions, not thinking through your emotions, physically experiencing sadness, do you feel your feelings? Are you a safe space for yourself? Or do you try to distract yourself? Do you shame yourself for crying, for feeling certain emotions, for feeling angry? Do you not accept those feelings within you, providing an unsafe space for your emotional self? A second piece of this is meeting your own needs. Do you meet your needs? Do you show up for yourself? Do you make sure you eat? Do you keep up with your routine? Do you make sure you sleep at a reasonable time? These are ways that you can form a secure attachment with yourself by showing up to meet your own needs and not thinking that you need to depend on someone else because the biggest piece or a really big piece about this that isn't really emphasized in the research but it's really important to me is this inner child. The inner child needs that sense of security, safety and needs their needs to be met by someone outside of them because a baby can't feed themselves, but you can. As an adult, you're still relying on these subconscious mechanisms that say somebody has to help me, somebody has to support me, somebody has to guide me. Those are child thoughts because that makes sense as a child. You totally need protection. You totally need someone else to meet your needs. You really need someone else to set up a routine for you. As an adult, these things don't apply, but you're still operating on these unconscious mechanisms. So that's a really important piece for you to understand. And the last piece of this is accepting and loving yourself unconditionally, right? Someone else can provide this, but ultimately I think it's most important for you to provide this for yourself. Do you love and accept yourself unconditionally? Have a conversation with your inner critic. They don't love and accept you unconditionally. If that inner critic is dominating a lot of your thoughts, then a lot of what you're feeling internally is a lack of love and a lack of acceptance, right? That inner critic is bashing you or punishing you for doing things wrong, for forgetting things, for not doing things on time. This is a secondary effect of that insecure attachment you learned from outside of you. Now you're creating an insecure attachment from within you, right? So now you need to form that secure attachment in that relationship with yourself first. The main aspect of this healing for me is the self-abandonment piece. We discussed that the fear of abandonment, the fear to be alone, is a big core wound at the core of anxious attachment, which is what it's traditionally known to be associated with, but I see it come up in avoidant and I see it come up in disorganized as well. Attack the self-abandonment. Understand why your parents' neglect led you to believe that you deserve to be neglected. Or if it wasn't your parents, your boyfriend's neglect, your friend's neglect. Why did you start to believe that the way they treated you is the way that you deserve? Right? And then go against that belief. Start to believe that you are worthy of love, regardless of how people have treated you. 
start to believe that you're going to, going to interact with people and be met with acceptance and love and belonging, right? Right now you're operating on the belief that it's better to avoid relationships or if you're in relationships, you have to do everything you can do to cling on to that person so that they don't leave, right? Or if you're on the opposite end of the spectrum as an avoidant, you're like, I don't even wanna get it started. I don't trust people, right? Start to believe that you can trust people. Start to believe that someone doesn't need to be with you all the time to make you feel accepted and lovable. Start to really analyze those limiting beliefs that are dominating your behavior, dominating your thoughts, and affirm the opposite of those beliefs. I've come up with a few affirmations that may be helpful, but affirmations are really important that they're personal, that they apply to you. Please use these as like an idea for you to create your own affirmations. Tell yourself that you can handle all life challenges. You don't need a support system outside of you to help you overcome anything. You're a survivor, not a victim. Life is manageable for you. You are a capable adult. The second affirmation is interactions with others make me feel empowered, loved, and accepted. Rejection and betrayal is not a reflection of my worth. It's a reflection of them and the people I choose within this pattern. External criticism does not affect my value. I am an adult. I know my worth is non-debatable. And lastly, I wrote, I am valuable, lovable, and special. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thank you for coming and listening. Um, I'm so happy if you made it all the way to the end. And let me know what else you want me to talk about or anything else that comes up, any comments, questions, or whatever it is. I am so happy to interact with this community. And yeah, I'm really excited to be making podcasts. Thank you for listening. Stay hopeful. Love you guys.